You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Leslie Zane. She is president of Triggers Brand Consultancy. We're going to learn about what she does with companies helping them understand consumers and really understand consumers at a subconscious level. And we're going to talk a little bit about how she does that, the work she does, the models that she has, the process that she uses. Really powerful stuff. I think a lot of times we kind of get in kind of very logical approaches to kind of sales and strategy and really a kind of approaching the market and approaching folks. And the fact is, is that the way we make decisions is quite complicated and sometimes maybe not how we think always, sir, or how we think it, it's happening the way it really happens. So we're going to learn from Leslie a little bit about that and then how she takes that and helps companies figure out how to grow and scale their businesses by really connecting with folks. So with that, Leslie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Bruce. Thanks for having me. This is yeah. going to be fun. Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm always excited with these conversations. So why don't we talk a little bit about sort of background first before we kind of get into the work that you do and connecting with folks and from a brand point of view, what was your professional background? How did you get to what you're doing today? Give us a little bit of the story. Yeah, sure. Well, I worked in many different brand management organizations, great companies like P&G, and I was inside the company building brands and doing what marketing people do. And I learned a ton in all those different jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was actually really surprised that success was very hit or miss. And I couldn't really believe that I was at these blue chip marketing organizations and yet so much of what we did often didn't drive sales. And so that was really a surprise to me and kind of a a little bit of the the, uh, incentive to go off and do my own thing. And tell me, was like when when did you realize what that thing is that you wanted to do? (laughs) Was there there a a situation or a time when it kind of clicked for you in terms of oh, I I get what I'm meant to do, or I get what I should be really helping companies with? Well, it's interesting. I always had a little bit of a different perspective than everybody else sitting in the conference room, and it's often hard to be that person, particularly when you're pretty junior at that stage and you have your own ideas because there's a way that companies do things. But I was at a top baby care company who shall remain nameless. (laughs) And I noticed that our advertising did not have any dads in it. We only had moms and babies. I also realized that baby care had been uh, changing, caregiving had been changing, fathers Mm -hmm. were getting much more involved. And so I recommended that we put the first father in a TV ad. Interesting. And this was considered revolutionary. So now we're going back quite a ways, but at the time it was considered really revolutionary and I had to fight a lot of obstacles in order to make that happen. I eventually did, but not before I received the worst performance review anybody could ever have received. (sighs) 
It actually said in writing, Leslie is too passionate about putting fathers in advertising, and this is an executional concern, not a strategic one. This was like... Meaning what? Like, what what was... I don't understand the comment. Executional meaning it's only about the creative that's going to appear in the advertising, Uh, but it's it's not driven by a strategic insight. But it really was driven by a strategic insight, which is that... Mothers really love seeing a father taking care of a baby for a whole host of reasons. And so anyway, after I recovered from this, (laughs) the most negative performance review I ever received, they ultimately did put the first father in a TV ad. And guess what happened, Bruce? Yeah, through the roof, I'm sure. Through the roof. It was the highest scoring commercial in the company's history. Products started flying off the shelves. And what I realized later on is that I had discovered the power of a subconscious cue to change the trajectory of a business. I just didn't know it back then, but it really was an epiphany moment because my instincts had proven, had proven out that it really was all about these subconscious things that, that never came out in their research. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about that because I think, you know, so much time we're kind of in our conscious minds and now you're talking about subconscious. Like, how does the subconscious play in this kind of decision making from a consumer point of view? So our conscious and our subconscious minds are very different. The conscious mind is the newer part of the brain. Uh, It's very aware and it sees you coming. It's also very rigid and resistant to change. So when you market to the conscious brain and you give people rational facts and tell them that you're superior and you try to make this very persuasive argument, the conscious brain knows that you're coming. It sees you coming and it says, "Uh -uh -uh uh-uh, uh-uh-uh. You're selling to me. I I know exactly what's happening here. Yeah, shield up. (laughs) Yep, you become skeptical. And we are skeptical creatures to begin with. So it's really hard to get share gains. It's hard to scale up if you're selling to customers that see you coming like that. Subconscious is actually very different. With the subconscious, that's the older part of the brain. It's auto, It operates automatically, and it doesn't see you coming. And ideas seep in there without your realizing it. Yeah. And so the subconscious, it turns out, is much more malleable. And so if you leverage the subconscious and let ideas and imagery and language and all your messaging seep into the subconscious over time, you'll find that you can actually make inroads much more rapidly than going the other the other way. Another way to think about this is that selling to the conscious mind is confrontational mm. and the brain pushes you away, whereas selling to the subconscious brain is collaborative. You're working with what's there. You piggyback to onto ideas that already exist in the brain. And so your sale goes down easier. Well, so how do we get to the subconscious? <laughs> like, so, so makes sense. But I, most times I think when I'm speaking with people, I feel like I'm dealing with their conscious mind. What's the process or, or how do we actually connect with the subconscious mind and, and when it comes to actually having these conversations? So it turns out that brands, companies, brands, whatever it is that you're selling, memories accumulate and get kind of glued onto the brand over time. And so in everybody's subconscious, there is something that we call the brand connectome. 
And that Mm -hmm. brand, Connectome, is basically cumulative memories connected to that brand. Everything that you've ever seen or heard or been told about that brand becomes glued to it. And so it's accumulated associations, both positive and negative. And so you need to start by understanding what's inside that brand, Connectome. And you can do that by delving into the layers of people's memories. You don't just ask them conscious questions about what they think. You get them to project out what's inside um, their subconscious about the brain. But but the reason that the brand connectome is just so important is that it is what drives people's instinctive choices. I'll give you an example. Yeah, Let's please. say you go to the supermarket and you're on in the orange juice aisle. When you go to that uh, orange juice section, you just reach. You know, you reach for, I'm going to say, let's say, you know, Tropicana. Mm-hmm. You reach for Tropicana. You do it over and over again. You are absolutely not thinking. You're not standing there thinking, let me see, should I buy this one? Because it has 30 benefits and this other one that has 25 benefits. Oh, I'm going to choose this one. No, you just reach. It's like you're on autopilot. And it's almost as if there's like a little halo over that particular brand. (laughs) And everything everything else is kind of muted back. People can't even tell you, tell us what else is on the shelf because they literally don't see it. They have blinders on. And so it turns out that the reason you choose Tropicana over the other orange juices is because you have a brand connectome about Tropicana in your subconscious that's Mm. filled with positive associations, and it also takes up more of your memory space. So it's more salient. So you actually... You do not control that purchase at all. You just reach over and over again. You don't know why you do, but you do it because you have this brand connectome that's dictating what you do. You don't control your brand purchases. Your brand connectome does. Yeah, yeah. And how... um so how how do you leverage that? I, mean, I guess like I get I get that that happens, but if you're a brand, if you're a company that's looking to um, you know drive that connection, like what is the process for actually establishing these connections, making these connections with customers, with consumers? So the building blocks of these brand connectomes are associations, and they can either be positive or they can mm-hmm. be negative. Mm-hmm. And over time, brands tend to accumulate some negative associations that they don't know they have. So what we need to be in the business of is keeping our brand connectome healthy. What a healthy brand connectome is, is one that has lots of positive associations, very few negative associations, and you have to constantly prune any negative associations that come up and replace them with positives. And as you do that, I liken the brand connectome to like a little plant. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the beginning of a plant, it's like a little sapling that takes root in the brain. You need to water it. You need to feed it soil. And that soil and water is positive associations, all kinds of positive associations. They could be symbols. They could be words, messaging, experiences, but positive, positive, positive. And as you water and feed that brand connectome, it grows because the way the brain works is in order to hold those associations, it needs to sprout more branches. And so little by little, that little Mm -hmm. sapling grows into a full-grown tree. And the larger that tree is, the more it becomes your go-to brand. And that's when you have instinctive, automatic choice. 
when people buy your brand over and over again. And that's the holy grail of marketing because it's just on repeat. It's like, you know, the, the marketing equivalent of a financial annuity. Yeah. Uh, and, and what happens if, you're, if your sapling gets infected with spider mites and, you know, you've got a negative association? Like, what do you do? You have to replace that, that with positive associations. So you can't, if you have a negative thing happen, so that happens to brands all the time, a brand gets in trouble, you know, in the case of, of uh, you know, let's say Johnson & Johnson with the Tylenol scare yeah. or some of the more recent things that have happened, what they need to do is replace the negatives with positives and not spend too much time talking about the negatives. Yeah. They obviously, depending on the situation, they have to apologize for whatever they did and take full responsibility, but then start start building back up those positive associations. But the great news about the brain is that it's constantly learning and constantly changing. So whatever situation you have today, it's not permanent. You can always add more positive associations and the brain starts making new connections right away. It really bounces back fast. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know in, in reading some of your, um, some of the things you've written and, you know, kind of my, my background, should, uh, you have this idea of triggers that are kind of part, part of the system and being able to connect with the brain. Explain triggers. How do they work? Why are they important? How do we use them? So we just said that in order for your brand to become the dominant instinctive choice in your category, your brand connectome has to be the largest in your category almost mm-hmm. like the canopy of your tree has uh-huh. to beat out and overshadow the canopy of your, the other trees, the other competitors' brand connectomes. So it has to branch out. Well, the key to getting the brand connectome to branch out is to give it a lot of positive associations really fast. What a trigger is, a trigger is a coder cue, and it could be of any kind. It could be um, a verbal message, it could be an auditory cue, but mostly what we're talking about in business is verbal and visual cues. A trigger is one that's packed with positive associations. It has a ton of meaning, it's very succinct, and so it holds all these positive associations without your having to say them because those associations got glued to it. As an example, in the bottled water category, a really important powerful trigger is the snow-capped mountain. You see a snow-capped mountain on a bottle of water, you know exactly what it means. It means pure, fresh, pristine, eco-friendly, refreshing, from the glaciers, you know, all kinds of positive associations. But you don't need to say any of those. You just look at the snow-capped mountain. You know that that's what it means. So if I start to connect my brand to the five most powerful category triggers and the 25 most powerful brand triggers um, for my business, then I can supercharge all my communications. They start to have the same cues across touch points. And now I'm super efficient and I'm getting a really high ROI and converting customers much more rapidly. So is that is that why like Evian bottles, actually the bottle itself has the shapes of these peaks going around it and stuff? That's exactly that's exactly why. The Snowcap Mountain has been iterated on multiple different ways in that category. And that's fine. It's actually really important to to own a cue that's even a category trigger. In other words, it's not a brand trigger, but you can turn it into a brand trigger because by just making it distinctive to you. And that's what Evian did. It yeah. took it took 
a category trigger of a snow-capped mountain, and it made it distinctive to Evian by creating this very, you know, wonderful sculptured bottle, sculptured version of a, of a snow-capped mountain. Yeah, fascinating. And, and so, so then different categories have their kind of inherent category triggers within them, or that's my understanding. Well, give me, are there some other examples you can give about yeah, other sure. categories? You know, I mean, every category has them. We obviously help our clients find out what those category triggers are. And then we also find out what their brand triggers are. But as, a, as an example of a category trigger, you know, think about Italian sauce, you know, the notion of plucking that fresh tomato off the vine, the moment of plucking it at its peak of freshness. And all you need to do is show a close-up of the hand picking the tomato off the vine, and suddenly all those associations come rushing into the mind. You're blowing my mind. (laughs) I'm thinking of all the commercials that I've seen and everything on this. It's juicy, it's fresh, it's peak of ripeness, just picked, it's from the farm, it's going to be a rich red tomato, sauce, it's going to taste delicious. So you get all of this just wrapped up in that one little cue. But look how efficient that is. I don't have to write a 30-second commercial to say all those things. Yeah. All I have to do is show this little half-inch code or cue on my bottle. And, and business communications, B2B communications work exactly the same way. I'll tell you yeah. something. Yeah, do you, do you want to talk examples. about yeah. that a little bit? Yeah, please. Yeah, so, so here's a funny thing. Every B2B project that we have ever worked on, the client tells us that sales tells them that all anybody cares about is cost. Every single time. Mm-hmm. All they care about is cost. We have to meet them on cost. And that's how they decide. And every single time we do our work, we find out that it's absolutely not true that there are about a hundred other drivers that exist beneath the surface that are subconscious, that are influencing their instinctive choice at the end of the day. And I'm certainly not saying that cost isn't part of it. Of course it is. But it actually is often not the most important thing. There are all these other drivers that come into play. And so really understanding what all those true business drivers are is really critical because you could end up really leaving a lot of money on the table yeah. if, you, if you don't recognize that. I'm curious if there are surprising ones that you found. I mean, I, so like the tomato sauce and the tomato and the, the peak, the mountain peak and the water, like I, like I, I can... They kind of make sense at some level, or I can see the connection. Are there ones that maybe are not so obvious, or things that you've found in in the work that you've done of maybe more interesting triggers that are not you know not so obvious, or, or maybe you know have have some interesting aspects to them? I would say that the most interesting thing is that the B two B buyer has the same triggers <laughs> very mm-hmm. often as the consumer. Well, because they're people. They're, right? Because they're people. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's exactly yeah. that's exactly right. And that I think is what is the big misinterpretation of business buyers. It's mm-hmm. almost like we treat them like they're not human. And they are. They have brains and they have instincts and they have brand connectomes just like everybody else does. And the beauty of that is that a business that has both B2B and B2C can actually harmonize its communications across and create a much more efficient marketing spend and corral all of their funds against one big umbrella brand, master brand message, and not be so fragmented. And, And that's another thing, segmentation. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> so, oh, let's get you started. Talk to me about segmentation. <laughs> 
So the thing is that what a brand really is, a strong, healthy brand, it's all about convergence. When we look at the subconscious brand connectomes across consumers, we find that they're nearly identical from one person to the next. And what's fascinating about that is that all of these marketing organizations are spending so much money fragmenting their message into separate audiences. But the question that we need to be asking is not how customers are different, but how they're alike. Because we don't want to fragment our resources. Who has the funds to to manage separate communications to 16 different audiences? Nobody does. Most companies don't even have enough funds to uh, do a, a full-scale television, print, social media, and digital campaign. They often have to choose. So really segmentation in many ways is going against the flow and making it harder for brands to grow. Well, I, so how, I mean, I guess the, the my thinking around segmentation is so that you can develop a more specific communication strategy for that for that particular group. You're saying that it doesn't matter. I mean, because the, the ohms are, the connect ohms are, are essentially, uni- or, you know, the same for all of your segments, you should do it. But then how do you differentiate? Like, how do you differentiate in, from other competitors? Okay, so two different things. Yeah. The brand connect ohm of competitive users is very different from the brand connectome of your current users. Oh, I got it. Okay. So what we need to understand is the brand connectome of of both so we can see what those differences are. And by almost putting them side by side, looking at the mental maps of both of those customers side by side, you can immediately see why this group is a customer and why this group isn't. What I'm arguing for is just treat the competitive or non-users as a whole and aim your positioning, your messaging, your communications, your triggers, your codes, your cues to that audience because that's who you need to bring over. Um, And many companies spend a lot of time crafting their messaging to their current customer and it doesn't move the needle because They're not the ones you have to convince. They're not Mm. the ones who have barriers that you need to overcome. So really, a lot of our work is spent understanding and diagnosing what are the drivers and barriers in the brand connectome of the competitive users and the non-users, because our goal for our companies is all about penetration. We want, we're trying to help them do what you're trying to help them do, which is help them scale up. And scaling only happens when you really focus on your, quote, growth target. Yeah. The people you don't have. Yeah, we always say the challenge is how do you keep the people you have and then steal away the people that are your competitors, right? That's how you grow. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And And that's another interesting thing that, again, we find that once we identify the triggers in the minds of the competitive users and non-users, that it also works for the current. Um, But if you go in reverse and you identify your positioning and your drivers among your current customers and you try to use that with your competitive users, it won't work. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's already inside the Venn diagram. You're trying to expand the Venn diagram, and you, so you need to look outside of it. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. And how do you do this? I mean, I, you know, if you're a company, um, you know, a, a services firm of some sorts and you're, you know, looking to grow and scale, like what, what's the process to actually go about finding these connectomes and, and then leveraging them in the in your strategy? So it's consumer research or customer research or buyer mm-hmm. research, whoever is your, your target. It's research like any other kind of research. The difference is that we never ask people what they like. Asking people what they like is a recipe for being misled because people Uh, like a lot of things and Mm -hmm. it's a conscious response that it doesn't relate to your instincts. And so really the key is to understand people's memories. What is inside those memories? What are the positive and negative associations inside people's memories about the brand? And what's very interesting about what's inside that mind map, it's not only things related to your product or your service, it's other things. So I'll just give you an example. The Apple brand Connectome, if you looked inside the the customers or even the non-customers, the competitive users, mm-hmm. you would find that inside the Apple brand Connectome isn't just great things about the product and the design and state of the art and creative and and all the things that you know about the product itself. It's other things. It's Steve Jobs. It's the 15,000 movies you've seen about Steve Jobs' life. It's mm-hmm. black turtlenecks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's your grandmother. It's teaching your grandmother how to FaceTime. You know, what is your grandmother doing inside your Apple brand Connectome? Well, she's there because she is connected. She's part of the ecosystem of associations related to Apple. And it turns out that the more associations you have that are related to other things in your life, that's really the key to expansion. Because what we need the Brand Connectome to do in order to scale up our businesses, we need the Brand Connectome to branch out. And we actually call it brain branching. So if <laughs> It's like we, a viral infection strategy. But, but it's a positive thing. It's, yeah, really, exactly. it's really a good thing. It's really a good thing. We want that brand to branch out and yeah. touch more things in our lives yeah. because that's how it gets to stretch out and occupy more of our memory structure. Yeah, yeah. And what are the things that, um, like, once you kind of figure out the the connection points and the, the connect gnomes, like, how do you actually, what do you do with them? Like, is this, like, it, you weave it into your website, how your website looks? Is it imagery? And is it copy? Is it, you know, how you write your emails? Is it the clothes people wear on when they go to meet clients? I mean, what are the things that you do to actually then instantiate this? It's all of those things. That's exactly right. We actually give as a deliverable what we call the triggers toolkit. And so we bridge the gap between strategy and execution. You know, if you think about it, there are a lot of great strategies, but it's often very hard to get those to show up in the actual creative execution. And there can be a, a big chasm between the two. So we bridge the gap between strategy and execution with what we call the triggers toolkit. And that has prioritized imagery, metaphors, symbols, language, benefits, reasons to believe, proof points. And we give all of that to our clients as a way to really make sure that across all the different touch points, whether it's email blasts or digital advertising or social, that everything is speaking with the same voice and hitting those same cues over and over again. And that's why we're able to get those share gains and those penetration gains in just a matter of weeks after clients start using the triggers across all of their communications. Oh, 
And so any piece of advice or, or things for people listening to this, they want to start applying some of the stuff, things they can do, you know, to really start leveraging this insight and this approach. You know, if, you know, accounting firm, you know, a couple hundred people and you're looking to really grow, you know, what are some things they can do to start applying this? I mean, I would start thinking about what are the category cues that operate in my in my business, in my industry, I would try to take possession of those. And a big fallacy is to say, well, this other company is using that category Q, so we can't use it or we shouldn't use it. And that's absolutely untrue. You'd be a really nice competitor if you allowed you know, the other guy to use the snow-capped mountain and you didn't use it yourself because it's the most important cue in the category. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you want to do is you, you actually want to make use of those category triggers. Figure out what they are, start using them. And I'm definitely advocating using both language as well as symbols and iconic images mm-hmm. uh, to tell those stories because you're going to be able to build that memory structure faster. One of the things that you want to definitely do is create some distinctive brand assets. Distinctive brand assets really help companies grow. You only need a handful of them, but they go beyond the logo. It's not just about your logo and the name of your company. You you really should have like a portfolio of distinctive brand assets in addition to those category cues, Mm -hmm. the things that really tell your story. But they should also be told in a very symbolic and iconic way so that it gets across faster and gets associated with your brand. The brain is lazy. It doesn't (laughs) like to work hard. And so the simpler the visuals are, the more symbolic, the more iconic, the easier a time you're going to have getting your message across. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there's this big advantage if you start moving to the subconscious, right? If you get out of this kind of conscious realm and really move to think about how to connect with people's subconscious minds could give you a huge advantage in the market. Yeah. In fact, that's what we call it, gaining the subconscious advantage. That's what we want for all of our clients. And subconscious advantage is obviously a creative twist on the notion of competitive advantage. Uh When you think about it, competitive advantage which was developed by Professor Michael Porter at Harvard Business School many decades ago. The notion of competitive advantage was that there are really two key ways to gain that competitive advantage. You can either be highly differentiated, so really have an actually differentiated product or service, mm-hmm. and or you can have a cost advantage. You can be the low-cost supplier. And basically, those are the two, that sums up what competitive advantage is. It's, it's either one of those two things, a differentiation advantage so that you can charge a premium or you're the low cost player. And so you can have a price advantage. Well, that is really, again, like another sort of ancient philosophy, because what we know from 25 years of work is that there are a lot of parity products that have perceived superiority. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of products and services that are truly differentiated, but are perceived as parity. Yeah. So what does that mean? It means that it's not about competitive advantage. It's about getting the subconscious advantage. Everybody needs to strive for perceived superiority, whether they have a parity offering or not. Yeah. In fact, you could make up for the lack of a competitive advantage with a subconscious advantage if done right. That's exactly right. And the key to that is, again, those two principles behind what makes brands grow. 
There's only two things. And it's really so simple. One, your brand has to have more positive than negative associations. That ratio is important, positive to negative. The more positive, the faster you're going to grow. And then the second thing is you need to have a larger physical footprint in the subconscious, in people's memories. So the larger the brand connectome and the more positive, that is the key to growth of the brand in the mind. And by the way, you can't grow out in the marketplace unless you first grow in people's subconscious. It's directly related. Yeah, excellent. Leslie, if people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Uh, They can go to triggers.com and they can also link with me on uh, LinkedIn, Leslie Zane, Z-A-N-E. I love to meet new people, so feel free to reach out. Perfect. I'll make sure that the links and the URL are in the show notes so people can click through and get that information. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. My pleasure too. It was really fun to talk to you. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.